0: welcome to the commentary magazine daily podcast today is thursday january 19th 2023 i am john putthor the editor of commentary magazine urging you to go to commentary.org and sample the contents of our february issue our own noah rothman on the worldwide covid revolts we have an example of another casualty in the covid regimes of our time the um The self-exiling of New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, uh, one of the heroes of the uh, restrictive, the world of COVID restriction, who yesterday announced that uh, she doesn't have any more gas in the tank. And after six years as the world's youngest or second youngest prime minister, she is just resigning because she's done. She's had it. That's it. She's over this is like quiet quitting, except it's very loud. Anyway, if you want to know the kind of circumstances that led to Jacinda Ardern's resignation, the sort of emotional, political, ideological fallout from what's happened from COVID, read Noah Rothman's article, The Worldwide COVID Revolts, in our February issue at commentary.org. Noah is here. Noah Rothman, associate editor, author of the Rise of the New Puritans. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Also, of course, with us, media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And uh, usually mentioned first, but today, because I'm trying to shake things up now, mentioned uh, in the in the final position, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Also, er- everybody on this podcast has a piece in the February issue. Abe has a remarkable piece about the... Uh, now, uh, almost 90, or having turned 90 years old, C- Cormac McCarthy publishing two novels within a month of each other, linked novels, The Passenger and Stella Maris, and this is um Abe's piece of criticism, and Christine Rosen, uh, and I'm blanking as I speak on the subject of your monthly column. About, I'm embarrassed to about say about
1: how magazines and newspapers love to have clickbaity articles like "exercises white supremacy" and then act shocked, shocked when people react accordingly.
0: Yes, so there you go. <laughs> this is how clickbaity I am that I can't remember <laughs> the name of the clickbaity okay. article earlier. we published attacking clickbait by Christine Rosen, and I have a piece called "Compute Compute," which is about. Uh, uh, Democrats and liberals and people in the press trying to figure out how to talk about the Biden scandal, um, facing essentially the, you know, the the conundrum of having gone totally uh, Javert on, uh, on Trump and the uh, purloined classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, and then having somehow to harmonize this with biden's purloining of classified documents because of course they don't want to they don't want to attack biden for purloining classified documents but what do they do in response so that is the commentary foursome here in commentary magazine along with eli lake's piece on the american nomenclatura at twitter a memoir by joseph epstein our longest lived our longest uh, uh, tenured writer uh, on growing up in Chicago's West Rogers Park, uh Tevi Troy on the uh, on the legacy of Ed Koch, uh, and so much more. Uh, so, uh, and Elliot Abrams, as I mentioned yesterday, on the uh, hysterical overreaction to the Israeli election, and Mayor Soloveitchik on the uh, infamous decision 55 years ago to deny Jews the right to pray on the temple Mount in Jerusalem uh, more and more to come. So that is the February issue of commentary. Uh, but today uh, we're not talking about the documents. We're not talking about the worldwide COVID revolts. We're going to, we're going to zoom in on the empire state where uh, two of us live, uh, Abe and I, and, um, and a very interesting political development in the empire state the what is entirely a pro forma right of the governor to appoint the um i mean it's kind of the title is like the the chief justice of the state court i mean it's but essentially a very uh, a very administrative job as the as the uh number one person uh, on the New York State is it again? I, I for some reason I'm I'm blanking here. But the um the court is not called the Supreme Court. Oddly announced the Supreme Court uh, Chief Judge, uh, in New York State's um. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the the position. Uh, anyway, um, so the Chief Judge of New York State, appointed by uh, Governor Hokel Um, uh, Judge Hector, Justice Hector LaSalle, uh, who is the chief judge of a lower court, uh, basically was rejected by the assemblies, um, by the state assemblies or judiciary committee. Uh, why does this matter? Well, it matters because this guy is a perfectly acceptable left winger, except not to the very, 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 very left wing, um, Uh, majority uh, in the in the New York State Assembly, which has been moving further and further and further to the left. And uh, they decided the left in the assembly decided to flex its muscle and uh, go after. Governor Kathy Hochul's choice here, uh, who should have been totally unexceptional otherwise.
2: Uh, Noah, you've been looking into this matter. I have to try to understand the merits of the arguments, which you've properly framed as a a smokescreen in the effort to flex some power, flex some muscle, communicate to Kathy Hochul where she actually is in the pecking order in New York state politics. But there are some arguments against his very long record, some 5,000 cases, and they sprawl and some of them contradict each other. So there's um, this lawsuit involving Cablevision, where some union workers uh, attempted to uh, or were attempting to sue Cablevision and he allowed the suit to go forward insofar as they were individuals. And the argument against that is that they shouldn't have been treated as individuals. They should have been treated as union members. It should have been an organized labor lawsuit. And it was not. Uh, another one um, is a decision against a an effort he decided in this decision to limit the subpoena power of the state attorney general in relation to an investigation into a pregnancy, a crisis pregnancy center. Um, these are the and this is very administrative. Sounds very administrative, right? Well, the arguments against these decisions by people like Stephen Hart, who's an adjunct associate professor of sociology at the University of Buffalo, writing in Buffalo News, describes these as assaults. On New York state values. He's not a middle of the road judge. He doesn't support our values and doesn't support the reproductive rights that are enshrined in the the state's constitution. There are also some kind of contradictory things, like he found that in the jury selection process, race and skin color is not a protected class. So you can ditch a a potential juror on the basis of race. This press- Wait, wait, wait. no, no. I, no, thought, no. It was that, I thought it was skin, co- skin color, color. Yeah. Skin color. Skin color
0: does not afford you protection against being bounced. I'm no, sorry. I was protection. using skin
2: color as a synonym for race, whereas
0: apparently. But no, that the- literally the decision says you cannot say that somebody who is rejected on the basis of skin color cannot be rejected from a war It's not protected uh,
2: class privilege. Right. The That's color what you
0: of your skin is not a protected class. Membership in a in a recognized race is protected. You cannot bounce somebody on the basis of race, but you can, in theory.
2: I mean, it's a very Talmudic. Well, this was overturned. It was subsequently overturned because it violated a precedent established in this landmark ruling called Batson, known as Batson. Um, So he was attacked for legislating from the bench there. But then he's also being attacked for not legislating from the bench enough when he said uh, this... um, Long Island Light Company suit uh, that Long Island Light Company didn't have to provide care for the child who suffered defects as a result of his father's exposure to lead in the workplace, even though there's no legislation to this effect. effect. In fact, there's some legislation, legislative language that suggests this is perfectly legal. And in fact, this is the intention of the state legislature. Uh, so the the attacks on him are are strained, kind of myriad all over the place. But they they center on these mostly these four cases there are some others but mostly these these four cases out of the guy's very long five thousand some odd case record
1: it's also the fact that smokescreen is the right term because what they really hate about this guy and it and and this is why much of their argument seems irrational when as as noah began looking at it falls apart it's because he was—he used to be a prosecutor. This is—we're talking about the progressive left here. They do not like prosecutors. That's why they didn't. A lot of them didn't like Kamala as the choice for vice president because she'd been a prosecutor. So he'd been a prosecutor, and he's—he's a, he's a representative of the kind of identitarian left, but an older generation—the ones who actually still have still have a few classical liberal values, perhaps even colorblindness. That is anathema to younger progressives, and and. Um, one of the articles that that was looking at this whole uh, fracas was talking about how younger progressive Hispanic voters don't like him either, because they're like, well, he's not really one of us. We'd rather have someone who shares our far more progressive politics, who's a different race. So we don't really even care that he's checking the right identity box. And this is a lot of that. We've talked about this over the years, but the kind of internal political battle among the progressive left, when they're when when someone who's a little more conservative leaning in their, on their side of the aisle, but has the right identity, they still will expunge. And this is a guy they don't want having this power, even though he kind of checks all the boxes.
0: Okay this is also politically fallout from two different things. Uh, Andrew Cuomo was governor of uh of the state for more than 10 years and he bullied and uh dominated uh the state assembly uh and the and the state senate into submission. Uh and over the course of that decade uh Democratic hacks were replaced by Democratic activists in job after job, and and then at some point the Democrats uh, managed to secure essentially uh, super majorities in both bodies. There was a point at which the New York State Senate um, <clears throat> was basically a conservative check on the Assembly. And that ended, but Cuomo needed, actually wanted the assembly needed the assembly to be reasonable, relatively speaking, uh, in order to maintain not only his own power and make his own choices about very expensive big ticket items he wanted to pursue, like the replacement of Laguardia Airport and the Second Avenue Subway and uh, and the replacement of the Tappan Zee Bridge, which has now been re- which has now been named for his father. Um, but basically he was you know better at this and more savage the maybe the most savage governor new york has ever had politically and so there is a lot of pent up frustration on the part of state uh, of the state assembly people went in assuming that they could revolutionize new york state politics and not having all that much ability to do so outside of the um social agenda items on gay marriage and various other things including uh, bail reform and uh, and uh, cannabis, uh, that sort of have been the case in a lot of other places. So Cuomo is gone, and Kathy Hochul, who is a hack and a very unimpressive politician, comes in as governor, uh, announces her intention to appoint uh, Hector LaSalle when the pro- previous head of the uh, New York State uh, Court of Appeals uh, stepped down after rejecting, after being one of the people on the court who rejected the insane gerrymander in uh, of twenty twenty, like found that the gerrymander was a violation of all understandable efforts to rezone and redistrict in the wake of an election. And basically through, the arguably is the reason that Republicans are now in the majority in the house of representatives because the map had to be redrawn, uh, in a way that ended up being uh, startlingly uh, friendly to Republicans in November. So, um, that person in the, in the, in the court of appeals left and, uh, Leftists really wanted to make an example of this job, did not like that Hector LaSalle was the guy because they want, you know, Huey Newton to be the head of the New York State Court of Appeal. I mean, they want whoever they can get, who is the most left wing, who is a member in good standing, actually, in some ways, of parties that are beyond the Democratic Party, acceptable to the Working Families Party, acceptable to this kind of activist world outside of the Party structure and Hochul had a disastrous election. Uh, she she got, I think, uh, the Cuomo margin in 2018 was reduced in her against Lee, Lee Zeldin by 17 percentage points. Lee Zeldin came within five or four percentage points of winning the governorship. And uh, it exposed her as weak. It exposed her as generic. In other words, she only won as the generic Democrat. She clearly was being rejected by massive numbers of New York state voters. And this is the moment to flex their muscles and say, "Okay, now you're the governor, but sorry, we're not scared of you. And we're going to get a scalp off you and you're going to do what we want or we're going to do this to you again and again and again and this is important, this is the fourth largest state in the country. Uh, And it's a state that has had an interesting ideological coloration uh, because um, while everybody thinks it's the Upper West Side, it really isn't. It's very divided. uh, And, you know, I mentioned Tevi Troy has a piece about Ed Koch, who was, of course, mayor until 1989. That's a long time ago, right? That's 33 years ago. Um, But uh, the coalition that elected Koch mayor in the city and elected Giuliani mayor in the city and in some ways elected Mike Bloomberg uh, in the city between 1977 and and 2013 was a coalition that said um, we want rational the political decision making in the nation's largest city and uh, these left-wingers are all too crazy and then when Bloomberg foolishly decided to go for a third term, took, took bought himself an end to uh, term limits and uh, almost lost an election he spent $150 million on in 2009. Um, that was the end of that rational political force uh, and de Blasio becomes mayor and the assembly over the course of that decade goes very left-wing and now basically New York State is going to be run by radicals in the New York State Assembly. That's what this is about and so as part of the nation moves further to the right it is very important to note that part of the nation is moving further to the left.
3: But it's also um it's a it's a it's a play in a dynamic that we've seen outside of New York too whereby there's this younger activist Faction that tries to get the executive to sort of bend to their will. Um, it's, it's what happened with, with Biden. Um, right. And it, it happened, you know, with 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 the squad and, and whomever else. And it, it happens. I mean, actually, weirdly, it happens in, in the in the private sector and media all the
1: time. Yeah. Right, and Mark, it's I yeah. it's been we've been distracted from it on the political playing field because we've had so much crazy on the right over the recent election of the Speaker of the House and whatnot. But but this is the pressure campaign that younger progressives constantly put on moderate to centrist Democrats has driven people. And I think Abe's actually absolutely right to point out that this is much broader than politics because this all of our cultural institutions have been having these battles for the past several years. I mean, they're well, before not we battles, get away from so, New York, yeah, Go ahead.
2: Yeah, is, this is going to happen this is going to work right this power play is going to succeed it works and we'll well it will in this case it will succeed there's every indication that LaSalle's nomination will fail right Right. in which case so there's a possibility on Kathy Hochul's attempt at upstate style governance in Albany
0: well again I don't think who knows what she was thinking she thought oh look here's a good you know here's a good uh Latino Uh, Let me check that box. Latino, head of the New York State Court of Appeals. Guess what? Because she's a hack and doesn't understand what Christine is talking about here and Abe is talking about, she doesn't know that that's no longer sufficient. Playing classic token racial politics in coalition fashion. You know, maybe she'd found him, maybe if he'd been gay and Latino, or if he had been, you know, Latino and trans. or Not if he
1: was him. a moderate, though. I'm telling right. you, none but of that he's matters. Not,
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, he's not a moderate. Like what he, right. you know, as, as Noah said, like it's 5,000 decisions under other circumstances. If she had won the governorship by 10 points, this would not be happening. The point is that... uh Democrats have a free leftist Democrats have a free shot at Kathy Hochul here. She's not one of them. They never chose her. Cuomo chose her as his, as his Lieutenant governor. And then, uh, you know, he was ousted from office. Um, she's a very unimpressive political figure and, and, uh, and then she almost lost. So screw her, you know? Uh, why should, she has no power over them. They all probably won by margins larger than she had. And, uh, and it's time for them to show her who's boss. And this is a real thing. This is one of the reasons why you don't just anoint Kathy Hochul as the next governor. If you're the hacks who run the new that maybe there's a reason to have a serious primary and see who can win because you need somebody with some personality and some force of character and all of that. If you want a functioning executive in a place like Albany and the party just, you know, basically anointed her and thought she was going to have this very smooth, you know, trek into the, into the governor's mansion. And then, you know, and then she was shocked beyond belief by the by the results of of the election she won it but i mean it's fair to say that almost anybody with a pulse that she won what almost anybody with a pulse would have won that she won notwithstanding herself she was the weak link in her own election and there are going to be political consequences for that and we've seen this play out in new york state by the way we saw it play out In 2018, when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, running in a primary against a very powerful member of the House, Joe Crowley, who was, I don't know, was a deputy whip or something like that, uh, she beats him in a primary 15,000 votes to 10,000 votes because these guys don't know what's going on in their own party. And this is where the establishment always is... Uh, vulnerable to the more active people in the in the coalition, because um, they get fat and happy and contemptuous of you know threats from people who are uh, more who have an agenda they want to pursue, and it turns out that can be pretty attractive to people, and particularly if you play it well and you you get out people to vote who haven't classically voted. Before, and therefore unknown to the hacks who run the party. So as the Republican Party nationally and state by state is discarding the establishments of the past, the exact same thing is happening in the Democratic Party. And there's a lot of talk about it happening in the Republican Party and the irredentist nature of the Republican Party's changes. And there's a lot less talk about it Among the democrats but it's arguably as serious it's certainly serious if you live if you live in a blue state because there was some check on um leftist ideological ambitions in in blue states and there will be none this is an important event because if you're jb pritzker in illinois or if you're gavin newsom or you know whatever whoever you are in whatever state you're in and you're in a blue state Uh, You're going to look at this Hector LaSalle thing and say, I got to sue for peace. Like, I'm not going to confront these people. They're too powerful. They're too dangerous. I am going to sue for peace. Talking about cultural power of the left, uh, we have this fascinating thing going on in, of all places, the National Hockey League, um, which uh, one would not think of as a body. Of uh, fans, sports writers, <laughs> athletes, and pursuers of being um, interested in wokeness. Uh, that is not, one does not see the ideological or racial or multicultural coloration of the fandom of the National Hockey League.
1: It's not a sport for snowflakes basically. This is Yeah, well it's a or you know,
0: it's a it's a sport for I mean, it's a sport for white people. Uh and it is, you know, I mean, I, I don't really know if this is the case. I'm going to guess that if you had to take a body of fandom in the United States and ask um and see how they voted uh, in 2020, let's say uh, I would imagine that uh you would have a just like a auto, like a, a car racing, or, or you know, um, whatever you call that. I'm losing the term. Anyway, I'm losing my mind. But that 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 uh, it was. It's the trumpiest of sports, shall we say? of competitive sports i don't
1: know wrestling and nascar will give you a run for your money okay well i meant nascar right (laughs) but but wrestling's
0: not a sport wrestling is a wrestling i mean okay well we can have an
1: existential debate about that But
0: among the competitive sports with leagues and teams and different cities and all of that right um it must be the whitest if it's the whitest that means it's the trumpiest probably and uh, so they had a they had a prior. All right, So we
2: can quantify we this because <laughs> okay. you challenged us. I did. So yeah. we so we do have some morning consult data to this effect. Yeah. Breaks down the political and racial identities of sports fandoms. And your instincts, I think, are correct. It is the whitest, barely 61 percent to 60 percent of the major major league baseball. Baseball is very close to being the whitest yeah. fandom in the country interestingly enough but nhl beats it up by a single point and as far as political affiliations go it's pretty much right down the middle it's 36 percent democrat 33 republican 36 indie. but that does make it the most republican sport again okay. barely inching out mlb okay so nonetheless
0: the nhl decided to have pride uh pride night think? pride night
1: but it's warm up ju- not during the whole game it, we should just we should it's just specify. the warm up the warm up period skate. for the flyers right right the pregame skate when the skate, yeah. when they when the players are out there warming up and you know uh, just just that little bit of time when fans are coming into the into the arena and uh, ivan poverov uh, pra- Pravorov, who's uh, a flyers player and who is also russian orthodox uh didn't want to wear the pride jersey that they were all supposed to wear during that warm up citing his religious faith Something that I think no one would blink at if he was an observant Muslim, I might add. But in this case, uh, it, it it sparked what the real reason we brought this up because it it has a, a farcical comedy from the previous century, Seinfeld episode has come. To become reality in the 21st century, and this was the this was the episode where Kramer refused to wear the AIDS ribbon. And those of you who are old enough to remember that episode, he was harassed and and you know chased down the street by by angry gay activists for refusing to wear the ribbon during a pride march. Um, so this is an example, I think, of the the movement that we've come to in this country in the culture wars from being able to be neutral or to say because of my religious beliefs or personal beliefs i i don't participate but you guys go do it it's not like you resigned from the team or staged a protest; just didn't want to participate stay neutral you cannot be neutral you are coerced was, into taking a side and he was completely
3: like gracious about it and he said Absolutely. i respect everyone i respect everyone's decision but i've i'm just uh, i'm true to my faith and i'm just not going to not going to participate in it he didn't he didn't he didn't stay silent he didn't say nasty things right you know? he
1: didn't grandstand which is what the people criticizing right. him have been doing for the last 48 hours
0: um so uh an analyst on the nhl network uh i didn't know there was an nhl network this shows how much i really pay attention to this stuff but there is the nhl network and his name is ej Raddock. Uh, and he apparently went on last night on on the NHL Network or the uh, and said that um if provorov or provorov uh doesn't want to wear that lgbtq plus warm-up outfit uh he should leave America go back to Russia and go fight in the war against Ukraine so it's you, you have no place here, leave this country and go, you know, participate in the destruction of Ukraine. Um, That's what happened. That's the world of the, you will bow to our, you will bow to our imagery. You will bow to our ideological imposition on you or um, we will say things about you we would never say about any other immigrant to the United States. <laughs> you know, including somebody who's here illegally, including somebody who was is, who is a criminal. You would never say, go back to Mexico and, you know, and join the drug cartel. I mean, imagine if somebody said that about a, you know, about a Mexican athlete or, you know, a, a whatever, who 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 didn't Agree to participate. And this stuff is very potent and very effective. I mean, I don't know if you remember that there was that day three or four years ago when you were on Instagram. The determination was that everybody on said specific day was to put a black square up as a picture. The only post that day was to be a black square that what meant that you supported Black Lives Matter. And um, uh, this was very potent among teenagers, for example, including my own, because if it was eight o'clock in the morning and you hadn't put up your black square yet, you start getting DMs like, where's your black square? Why haven't you posted your black square? You know, if you don't post your black square by 930, I think I'm going to have to post something on my black square that says that you didn't post something You didn't post a black square. The ideological enforcement of this imagery using social media as the bullying rallying point um, has been astonishingly effective in kowtowing, making people toe the line, whether they want to or not, whether they don't want to be political at all. Which, of course, was always the glory of the United States, which is that it created, uh, there were zones in which people who did not want to participate in politics did not have to. Well, especially longer. Yeah, go ahead. At your workplace,
3: you're hired to do a job. His job is to play hockey. His job is now suddenly also to be a mouthpiece for whatever activist cause comes down the pike.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. They're basically compelling him to to perform, compelling his speech, which you're not allowed to do right. unless that's part of the contract. So the, the question is going forward, if these if these uh, sports teams are going to be captured by the by the cultural left, if that's going to be written into their contracts in the same way that academics now face having to to. Outline their DEI work in order to get tenure in like, you know, astrophysics, which so they can they can make that part of your part of your contract down the line. And that's something that hopefully people will resist because once it's written into a contract, it's harder to argue that your speech is being violated. I mean, it is
2: now in the context of the NFL. I can't speak to the NHL. It's probably frustrating a lot of our listeners who can. But for a while, (laughs) there was this no politics on the field standard that pertained universally. Up to and including supporting, for example, uh, mental health initiatives or breast cancer awareness. You know, there were players on the field or were support for the police who were killed in in Dallas in 2016 in that attack. Um, you know, just any expression of something that could be interpreted as political was <clears throat> discouraged or prohibited, and that was also including these kneeling protests. So it all fell under the banner, and they could say, "Well, we have a blanket standard." But then in 2020, that all fell away under this this wave of social pressure that manifested in that, in that Instagram campaign and many other campaigns. And now the politics on the field standard pertains universally. Politics on the field is isn't is encouraged in all facets, in all forms. And they kind of have to do that in order to justify these standards, because otherwise, you, by the way, it looks it's like also, you're playing favorites.
0: It's also getting to the point where the shorthand that is necessary to make these political statements in the NFL if you're not up on what's happening, you have no idea what's going on. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers had some slogan on the back of their helmet during the game in which they were, you know, slaughtered by the Dallas Cowboys. I can't even remember what it was, but I didn't really understand what it what it was. And if I don't understand what it is, I don't know that it, you know what what is you know what is some guy who you know lives in West Virginia and and doesn't really follow politics what is he going to make of it
1: well we need a kind of a politically correct urban version of the urban dictionary it's like when my kids text me these acronyms i'm like i I have no idea what this i have to go look it up because i'm an old yeah but but there's a the short that there's a there's a method to that madness which is you have to be in the know the in group means you've got to be giving all the right signals having all the right signs as you said with the instagram and the black square like again it's all posturing but it's posturing for the purpose of exerting one's own cultural power
0: and it is important because the gatekeepers that were supposed to say you don't have to do things that you don't want to do, which was a very big – from the 60s onward, a lot of what enshrined the cultural revolution of the 60s and beyond had a connection to a, gen- to a weird general American libertarianism, which is you don't have to obey – Social mores that have been sort of laid out for you by these large scale establishment forces. Do whatever you want. Fly, fly your own freak flag. Don't, you know, you can listen to whatever you want. You can watch whatever you want. Censorship is bad because you are a free agent and a free actor and you have the right to do whatever you want to do, right? That is sort of let it all hang out. 60s, post 60s. And now that has been supplanted on the part of the left and the establishment that took that in. And it's not you can do what you want. It is we, you, there is going to be, there are going to be roles assigned to you as a citizen in the United States to wear a button, to advocate for a cause. And you're going to be watched by this weird social media behemoth and your refusal to cooperate with the great rule that is being laid out will be noted. It By the will way, be noted very effectively.
3: It is a a much broader and sort of silent problem um, because Provorov is in a celebrity profession. So he stands a, sh- a shot here because they're going to be people on his side in this, in this battle and, um, it, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to, he's got a real fight and there's going to be teams here, uh, you know, uh, for and against what, he, what, what he's done and, um, people arguing on, on, on the side that, that his rights are, are being violated here. Um, what if you are in retail or in insurance and you're, and you have some, uh, some activist day where you have to display something on your uh, lapel or your desk or whatever, scared to death you to, 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 to boycott it or to, to bow out for religious reasons. You would never do it. I mean, some people would, but they'd, they'd be gone in an instant because they're not going to attract any, anyone uh, to champion their cause.
0: I mean, I remember 40 years ago, my first job, I was a researcher at time magazine and at time magazine, Time Magazine was a big giver to the United Way. People sort of forget. I don't even know if the United Way exists anymore because it was it, – there was a huge scandal involving malfeasance at the headquarters of the United Way uh, and changes in management leadership and stuff like that, so, I don't know, in the in the late 90s, or early 2000s. But the United Way was a kind of philanthropy of philanthropies. It pooled resources. It raised money and pooled resources, and then it gave money out to worthy causes. And so Time, like a lot of, you know, large corporations, was a serious participant in the United Way. And uh, there I was. I was 21 years old or something like that. And somebody comes to me and says, we're doing the United Way uh, campaign, and we would like you to, you know, donate to the United Way. And I was literally making $9,450 a year. I was a part-time researcher at Time Magazine living in New York City. And I did not have a nickel to my name. I mean, I literally was budgeted out, you know, to the cent to get through the week. You know, I ate, I ate uh, dumplings for dinner because I could get them for $2. I didn't have any money. And I said I- I'll look at it or something like that, because I didn't want to say I don't have any money. And um, then the pressure started. Got a call from my corporate supervisor who said, "You know, we hear we, we're trying to get a hundred percent participation here on the, in the world section corridor. Uh, we need a hundred percent participation." and i obviously was interfering with that cuz i was one of the employees on the corridor and i was had not signed up to do the united way and then i said okay don't i'm uh, I'm, wor- I'm I'm thinking i have my own whatever i have my own philanthropic efforts go in a certain way or something like that but i didn't have any money and then i got a call from an assistant managing editor who was like one of the senior officials who's like i understand you haven't agreed to give money to the United Way. We need 100% participation on the editorial side. So, of course, I ended up relenting, right? And it was like uh, 10 bucks. Now, the clear implication of this was that my career at Time Magazine might be adversely affected by the fact that there would be some little, you know, there would be like a sticker on my folder that said, didn't give to the United Way. And that I was, you know, and I just remember finding the bullying of this, this gigantic behemoth corporation that itself could have given $50 million. Why did I have to give $50 million? Why did I have to give $10 to the United Way? Let time give 50, give, give all the money to United Way. It doesn't matter if I do, but this is, that's how this kind of thing worked before social media. It was individual direct pressure. Of this sort, you know, are you going to? It's like it's like the signing of the birthday card at the office when somebody comes to you, and it's somebody you hate, and they're like everyone has to sign the birthday card, you know, and you do because even though you don't want to sign the birthday card. So, well, so now, what this can a be little guy
2: do? I mean, they used to be able to rely on nothing. The ACLU. I mean, the equivalent is what fire. I don't know how well endowed they are.
0: Well, there's nothing you can do about the idea that. You have to withstand people saying you didn't put up your blue square. You didn't put up your black square uh,
2: on Black Square Day. There's nothing. No, you can- no, no, no. But in in the context of employment.
1: Right. You, yes. miss, you miss out on opportunities, but you can't necessarily point to the fact that you didn't go along with whatever culturally coercive messaging they required. They'll make up some other excuse. I mean, the, the feeling that you're not welcome in an institution that you're employed in is not great for people. And I think it probably does drive people out of places where they were otherwise doing good work.
0: Or, or, or you don't, or you put up the black square. I mean, you put up the black square. As you guys say, uh, Pravarov, is my guess is how it's pronounced. I haven't, I don't even know, but he must, um, he has an independent standing and he, and, and he did it in exactly the right way. He said, you know, essentially supporting the idea that there is no distinction between being, between being gay and not being gay is a violation of my religious faith. Anyone can do anyone anything they want. I am not insisting on imposing my religious faith on anybody else. And this is eff- effectively a religious faith you're attempting to impose on me. He has independent standing. He doesn't have to have to but do if you're it.
1: A, but you're a recent college graduate in your first job and everybody in the office is like, you've got to put this sign up or you've got to put this up you got to put yeah. your pronouns in your and you got to do all these things. And they might seem small if you're not if you if you're just starting out. It, it, there's a bad social effect when people just go along to get along against their own conscience. Because the risk is too great of losing this job that you need. And I and it's understandable from a kind of emotional perspective why people do that. But if everybody does that, particularly in, in younger generations, it becomes harder later on to really say no to things that, that are wrong.
0: But it's even worse than that, I think, because let's say you, Christine Rosen, are 15 years old and you don't want to put up your you don't want to put up your black square um, and then people in your class go on social media and they say you know christine stolba did not because we need a we need a less common name christine stolba did not put up her black square right six seven years later you are you're you're applying for a job as Mm -hmm. a college graduate and somebody does a forensic just like does a search on your name Mm -hmm. on the internet to see anything that they might come up with and it says that back when you were 15, you didn't put a, someone f- can find something that that right. indicates that this happened six years ago. And there's you and there's another person up for the job and that other person doesn't have something that says that you didn't put your black square up on Black Lives Matter Day. But you do. And you're equal and all things being equal.
1: They're going to go with the one who doesn't.
0: doesn't. Yeah. yeah, I guess. Not because, yeah. not necessarily because they agree with you or don't agree with you, but like, you could be a troublemaker. Exactly. That's right. it. Not not that it's just I don't need the tsorus of hiring somebody who displays independence. Thought but does, you know, but or does, something like that. But
1: does that work both ways? Because there are a lot of young people who are very loud and proud about all of the activism they do, coming from the left, and that's all over their social media. And I guess if they're going into fields that value that kind of personality and that approach to to work, then they they might have an advantage over kids who don't participate. Like if they're going to go work for a woke organization, that's great. But I do wonder if it works that way, if the, oh, you're just a troublemaker works if the kid is coming from the left or is, you know, kind of checks the right identitarian boxes. If it does, then I guess you could say it's fair. But it seems to me that the, the punishment tends to come down more severely on the side of kids who say no to the left stuff and might be more conservative or religiously observant and less so for the kids who are just kind of spouting conventional left cultural wisdom.
0: I mean, that's an interesting question. So there was a moment when, again, on Instagram, uh, it was suggested that people put the letters hashtag ACAB in their bios. Um, ACAB means all cops are, you know, uh, illegitimate children. And uh, We let's are doing say so well
1: a, with the not cursing in 2023. So proud of let, us. <laughs> let's say that there is a
0: change of a political ideological heart in the United States between when that was and when, when you're 14 or 15, you get a job. Uh, you know, there's like another 9/11, or there's something where you know people start celebrating the heroism of our police as opposed to whatever the trend was in 2020 or 2021. Um, and then having put up ACAB, that's too controversial. Like then it could not only be that you're, you're going to get, but that you go to work in some company, they say, okay, well, she was a kid. She put up ACAB, no big deal. And then somebody else at the workplace finds out that you were an ACAB person in your bio. And they're like, oh, so you hate cops, huh? That's why this is all terrible. That's why nobody who is under the age of twenty-five should be on. So- nobody should be on social media, ideally. But this is why. This is why the cost, the cost of this um, uh, insistence on political conformity, when you don't really know where the polit— now it's very effective at the present, but you don't know where politics is going to be six or seven years from now.
1: Well, you already you see this with a lot of I mean, I see it. I drove by Black Lives Matter Plaza, as it's called here in D.C. Yes, that's sarcasm dripping from my voice, because given all the resources this city could spend money on, painting a street was not high on the priority list. But it was for the mayor that I kind of feel like eventually we're going to see a parenthetical expression added to the sign that says Black Lives Matter Plaza, Black Lives Matter parentheses, not the organization, the, the sentiment, because I've heard this recently. It's actually a, a compelling sign that among my some of my most you know liberal friends who are like Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, when all the information came out about how fraudulent the organization itself was, how they were using donations not to help better Black people's lives, but to better their own real estate portfolios in places like Malibu, um, that actually... Made gave a taint to this organization that had become a stand-in for a movement. So, in some in some cases, it's probably better. But I I don't know. I mean, whether or not it's gonna again. I I think about the the college graduate and his or her first job. I just and the pronoun thing happens all the time to these kids. Like they're like told they have to put pronouns in their bio, and if they don't believe that they're they need to do that what what do you say to your boss when they say this is part of what our organization stands for i mean i guess you consider leaving the organization but there's a there's a cultural pressure there that's very hard to to stand up against as a young person although some do
3: and you know and the, the thing is with with these activist issues now well, like as as the case with provorov or whatever, however I'm supposed to pronounce his name um this the issue, LGBTQ issue and others are framed as this sort of underdog fight, right? Um, but there's no fight anymore. There's no. I mean, there'll always be individuals who are bigots and intolerant, or whatever. And that's that. That'll never stop. But it's there's 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 nothing left to fight for here. It's not a, it's not an underdog fight. It's status quo enforcement, and 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 that is what you are being compelled to do.
0: Right that that's why I did this comparison with the united way thing because that that was in the pre social media that was how conformity was enforced right a raised eyebrow from your boss something said by your pastor uh you know an opinion expressed by a majority of people around your bridge your bridge club around the bridge table you know cultural messages were 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 passed and what's interesting about this is that those may have represented more of a sort of majoritarian opinion a lot of this is the virtue signaling of an elite that is then using its elite power to force people to profess views and opinions that they either don't haven't developed don't share or don't really care about because part of the goal here is to create the image that this is, A, to scare people from openly opposing these views, but also to create the false image that these views are now now uniformly shared. So they have both effects at the same time. And as I say, it's just interesting that this is where the left has gone with this and why the left has now become the leading enforcer of this because the cultural left of the United States over the, over the course of my lifetime was radically directed in the other direction. It was, nobody should have the right to tell anybody else what to do about anything and if you were that person, you were a moral majoritarian, you were trying to license rock me, mu- you know, it was Frank Zappa before the Senate saying this is fascism, saying I need to label my music uh with explicit lyrics and how dare you. It was a whole world of creative self the idea of self-expression was the ultimate achievement of the, you know, American experiment. And this is the opposite of self-expression. This is this is uh, you know, a demand for social and ideological conformity. And it is a very, it's, it's been a generation in the works, but it is a very important change uh, in the, you know, in in the coloration. And so as Noah says, like, who's going to defend you? Well, no one's going to defend you. I mean, there may be individual cases in which you can get defended by fire or something like that, but I mean, No one's going to offend you if you're a kid in school and there's a, you know, there's a there's some and you get you get demands that you put a black square on your Instagram. I want to
2: submit also just relating to the specific controversy that it's getting so much attention from inside and outside the sports world because it has nothing to do with hockey. It is accessible to the outside world because it's not a a fan issue. And it's something that the sports world has gravitated towards generally, especially sports commentary. And I wrote about this in the book um, that they don't really like to talk about sports anymore, especially if they're progressive, it's not important. It has nothing to do with the ills of the planet earth that you're supposed to devote yourself to as a right thinking person, as a sober, serious person, every waking moment. Um, This is more important than talking about pushing a puck around on the ice and so it attracts a lot more vigor and fervor from the sports commentariat because they get to pretend to be more serious than they are. And that's the sort of thing that is really, really attractive to sports broadcasters across the the spectrum. They've been doing it for for several years now. Whenever there's this kind of controversy that allows them to ruminate on social issues, they tuck into it like a like a meal. They really enjoy it more than I think they enjoy doing their actual jobs. And uh, and. Part of the consequence of this is,
0: you know, ESPN, which went all woke like seven or eight years ago, has seen an 80% shrinkage in its audience. Now, nobody knows how to explain the the secular decline of ESPN, except to say that it has cratered more radically than any other cable channel, with the possible exception of Comedy Central. It has cratered it was the most important the most profitable business in all of cable it's one of the reasons why there were hundreds of other channels because espn was so valuable to a cable company that um it needed to you know it 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 cost it so much that it needed to then you know create this a la carte system where you could had to watch a whole bunch it could use it to force you to subscribe to other channels
2: well, Jimmy also, Vitaro knows who's the president of ESPN. It's when he yeah. took over. He very explicitly admonished on air staff, telling them, hey, we're a sports network. Sorry, we're going to talk about sports, even at the expense, perhaps, of the most important social issue of the time, regardless of what you think about it. Um, it's he's actually subsequently been pushed off this position by just the force of the culture. Um, but it's worth noting that ESPN is a Walt Disney company. ESPN is owned by Walt Disney ABC. All those networks are under the Disney banner, and they were all pushed in this in this similar direction. Um, they're suffering as a result, and I guess the corporate the corporate structure is suffering as a result. But these forces have been pretty irresistible, even though they know that it's bad for the bottom line, that it's in a, it, it it abdicates their fiduciary responsibility to uh, their investors and their stakeholders. But the pressure is irresistible.
0: Uh, okay. <laughs> I want to I want c- conclude with something. Uh, a shot fired across the commentary bow uh, by our friends at National Review. I don't think you guys know about this yet, but uh, NR Plus, the online uh, subscriber version of National Review, um, has a contest up Uh, Luther Ray Abel of their staff has uh, come up with the second annual best coffee cup in conservatism conference, uh, excuse me, conference contest. And um, there are five, I think it's maybe, Wait, is it five or six, five or five different coffee cups that are in competition for the best conservative coffee cup. Those are National Review, the Dispatch, the Manhattan Institute, Lawn Liberty, and Commentary. And uh, we lose, okay, our, our total appearance, function, and heat retention. We get a three for appearance. In fact, uh, Abel compares us to Lubutin shoes, but says that our coffee cup, which says keep the candle burning on it, very, very attractive black coffee cup, uh, does not retain heat sufficiently as opposed to the morning dispatches cup, which which gets a heat retention score of three. Uh and the Manhattan Institutes Cup, we get a three on appearance, but the Manhattan Institute Cup, which uh I don't know, is just a cup that's got blue inside, uh, gets a four. And so we end up with a total point total of Six. And then, of course, with the fix being in, National Review gets an eight, along with the Manhattan Institute. This shall not stand. Our coffee cup, which says keep the candle burning on it, it is a beautiful coffee cup, and we all use it, and we love it, is better than National Review's coffee cup. Yes,
1: we keep the candle burning, but we keep your coffee at a perfect temperature for drinking. So.
0: And I'm sorry, but we will we will not be bullied in this way. We will not we will not be insulted in this way. We need to work then the refs we'll on be this. Taken, way. I can't say how, and I can't say when, but revenge will be taken for this infamy uh, against us. Will not stand. And there you have it. So. Uh, but thank you to Luther Ray Abel for, um, for, for including us in your clearly rigged, shockingly derelict contest. So with that, we will be plotting our revenge, but we will let you go for the day. And we'll be back tomorrow for Abe, Christina, No. Noah. I'm John Podhoretz. Keep the candle burning.